Amen. Well, if you please take your Bible at this time and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 21 this morning and uh, verses 33 through 46. Our message series is called Jesus in Jerusalem. And in this series, we are looking at the last week of Jesus' life uh, before he went to the cross. And we mentioned last week we are currently in a section of Scripture that is marked by a series of contrasts and conflicts. Contrasts and conflicts. Last week we looked at the contrast between what you say and what you do, right? This week the contrast uh, in today's passage has to do between the kingdom taken and the kingdom given. And Jesus tells another parable this week just like he did last week and in the process He antagonizes uh, the religious leaders even further, thus increasing the conflict, thus heading all the more towards Good Friday and the cross. So in Matthew chapter 21, I'm just going to read verses 33 through 39 as we begin. Hear the words of Jesus. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at this parable this morning and then at the meaning of the parable, Lord, we know that your word is written to us today. Your word is living and active. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take the words that you've preserved on the pages of Scripture for us, and now you would apply them to our hearts, uh, that we might learn and that we might obey, and that our lives might be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had something, had something in your grasp, and then lost it? Something really important, something extremely valuable that just somehow sort of slipped out of your hands. We know the old fisherman saying, right, you should have seen the one that got away. You know, it's not only fishermen who say that. We say that about lost jobs. We say that about lost dreams. We say that about lost opportunities. We say that about lost relationships. The one that got away. Well, the tenants in our parable today... Uh, as we shall see, represent the religious leaders and and really the whole Jewish people 
who also let something of extreme value get away from them. You see, they had been entrusted with the kingdom of God. But they rejected the king's son when he came, and they ended up losing the kingdom in the process. Now, you remember from last week, Jesus has, has just finished telling them the parable of the two sons. And he finished up that parable by telling them that the tax collectors and the prostitutes were entering the kingdom of God before they were, speaking to the religious leaders. Now he tells them this second parable, the parable of the tenants, and this one comes with an even stronger warning because he tells them that the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to others who will produce its fruit. And the lesson that Jesus had for the religious leaders is the exact same lesson that Jesus has for us today. Don't let the kingdom get away from you. Don't let the kingdom get away. There is nothing more important than entering the kingdom of God. And God offers you the kingdom to you through his son, Jesus. Don't let the kingdom get away. So let's begin this morning by looking at the parable. There's an outline in your worship guide if you'd like to take that out at this time to follow along. Uh, but we're looking at the parable of the tenants. And in the first part of the parable, Jesus talks about how the tenants seize the servants. How the tenants seize the servants. Look at verses 33 through 36 with me now. Once again, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders here. And he says, listen to another parable, right? He just told them the parable of the two sons. We looked at that last week. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, went away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruits. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. It's a very interesting parable. It's a, a different from a lot of the parables Jesus told. This parable is a lot more detailed. A lot of times Jesus tells us a very simple story. Uh, it's also more allegorical, where, where one thing in the parable stands for something else. And, you know, we can sometimes get into trouble trying to interpret Jesus' parables when we over-interpret them, where, where we try to take every little detail in the parable and try to make it line up with something else. And, you know, a lot of times, all Jesus is doing, the details are there just to tell a story. And what we're really meant to do is to look for the meaning behind the story of the parable, not get distracted by all the minor details. And we could still make that mistake with this parable if we took some of the smaller details, like the, the landowner going away for the journey and trying and try to make all that fit into some scheme. Uh, but the major elements in this parable are allegorical. Each one clearly refers to something else. For example, the landowner refers to God. The vineyard stands for both Israel and the kingdom. The tenants in the parable 
refer to the religious leaders and really anyone who rejects Jesus. And then the servants refer to the prophets. So now with all of that in place, with all that in place, we can begin to see what Jesus is saying in the parable. In the parable, we saw the landowner, he plants the vineyard, and and boy, he does everything, doesn't he? He plants it, he carefully does everything to ensure its success. He puts a wall around it, right, to keep animals away. He digs a wine press right in there in in anticipation of all the fruit uh, that this vineyard is going to bear. He even builds a watchtower, right? So someone could be on guard and watching for, for any enemies who might come or any thieves. He rents the vineyard out to the farmers. He goes away in his journey. And you can see what all this means. You know, in the same way, God did what? He carefully prepared everything for his people, Israel. He chose them as his own people. He led them to the promised land. He gave them his law. He gave them priests and the tabernacle and later on the temple. He gave them everything they needed in order to succeed. And then, when Israel still did not produce the fruit that God desired, what did he do? He didn't give up on them. He sent his prophets. He sent his prophets, but just as the tenants in the parable did what? They, they mistreated and even killed the servants. Israel did the same with God's prophets. We read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. The Lord sent word to them, to the people of Israel, through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. God sent them the prophets again and again. Each time they rejected, sometimes even killed God's messengers. So that's the first part of this parable, the meaning of the first part, where the tenants seize the servants. God prepared everything for the nation Israel, but they rejected his prophets. Now, in the second part of the parable, the owner sends his son. The owner sends his son. This is the heart of the parable now. And really, anyone hearing this story for the first time, you should be outraged by what happens here, right? Look at verses 37 through 39 with me now. Last of all, Jesus says, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. We'll take his inheritance. So they took him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And of course, this is unthinkable that the tenants would kill the owner's son. Yes, it was wrong to mistreat the servants. It was worse to kill them. But to kill the owner's son, that is unconscionable. This was an act of pure evil and greed, and it was also an act of great foolishness. (laughs) That they thought they could get away with this, right? That there would be no consequences for their actions. And once again, it's fairly easy to identify the various elements in this part of the parable. The owner is God who sends his son The Son is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the heir of all things. The seizing and the killing of the Son, that refers to Jesus' arrest 
and crucifixion that's going to take place in just a few days, right? Later that week. Now, let's step back in our series for a minute. Remember we saw earlier in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus and his disciples were approaching Jerusalem, how Jesus repeatedly told his disciples what the religious leaders were going to do to him once they got there. Do you remember that? He would tell his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me. And on the third day I will rise again. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples what the religious leaders would do to him once they got to Jerusalem. Now, now you see what's happening? Jesus is telling the religious leaders what they're going to do to him, right? He's telling them what, what they're going to do. They don't even know what they're going to do yet. It's all hidden from them because it's all in the form of a parable. But Jesus knows this week in advance, and he's actually telling them in advance what they are going to do to him. So that's the parable. That's the whole story of the parable. And the whole thing has been leading up to one big question, which is, how is the landowner going to respond to this? What will be the landowner's response to these terrible, inexcusable actions of the tenants? And you'll notice that Jesus is the one who asks the question. Look at verse 40 with me now. Therefore, Jesus says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now, this is real similar to something we saw last week uh, in the parable of the two sons. Remember, uh, Jesus got the religious leaders last week. He got them to commit themselves to an answer up front before he revealed to them the meaning of the parable. He's going to do the same thing here. It reminds me of a story from the Old Testament. You might remember uh, when David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and uh, David uh, had her husband killed, how God sent Nathan the prophet to David. But Nathan, instead of confronting David directly, look what you did. What did Nathan do? He told David a story. He says, David, there was a man, rich man, had a lot of sheep. A lot of cattle. And just down the street from a very poor man. Had one little sheep. One little lamb. Oh, he loved that lamb. Brought it with him everywhere. Let him sleep with him at night. Imagine sleeping with your little lamb. He loved his little lamb. It's the only one he had. And then a traveler came to the rich man's house. And the rich man, instead of going out to his cattle and his flocks and taking one of those to make the meal, he took the poor man's little lamb and he killed that and he used that for the meal well, when David hears that story he is furious and he says that man should die for what he's done that man needs to be punished for what he's done and it was only then that Nathan says to David David you're the man you're the man you did this to Bathsheba and her husband you see, Nathan wisely used the story to get David to commit himself up front to a course of action. And then David repented and confessed his sin. Jesus is doing the exact same thing here with the religious leaders. He's getting them to commit up front. He asks them, what will the owner do? And you know, the religious leaders walk right into the trap. You know, verse 41, 
They give their answer. And they're outraged at this story, just like David was outraged at Nathan's story. And they said, what will the owner do? He's going to bring those wretches, they call them wretches, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. Tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Notice a couple of things here. They condemn the tenants' behavior. They pronounce them worthy of judgment. And then they also say that the owner is well within his rights to rent the vineyard to other tenants who will then produce fruit for him. You see, just like David didn't know the story about the rich man and the poor man and the lamb, just like David didn't know that story was about him, the religious leaders didn't know that this parable was about them. But now that they have committed their answer up front, now Jesus reveals to them the meaning of the parable. And it's a parable about God taking the kingdom away from them and giving it to others. And Jesus begins first by quoting Scripture to them. Always a good thing to do to quote Scripture. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus here, he's quoting from Psalm 118. It's the same scripture we read from earlier in our service today. When Jesus asked them, have you never read? He's really asking them, have you never understood? Okay, Jesus knows they've read the scripture before. In fact, this is one of the scriptures that is associated with Passover week. That's where they are right now. They're all in the middle of Passover week. It's just a few days away. And so this is a scripture that they read. They read every Passover They're about to read it again just in a couple days. And so Jesus is really saying this. He's saying, this scripture that you read faithfully every year, that you're about to read it again, don't you understand it? See, the capstone in this picture, uh, in this, uh, this, this picture that he's painting here in this verse, the capstone, this was the most important stone in the building. And the word here can actually refer, refer to one of two stones. Sometimes it refers to the cornerstone. And the cornerstone was that foundational stone that the entire foundation was built out of. Very important stone in the building. The capstone was the final stone that was placed at the top of an arch. You'd build those stones up, and then you'd put that capstone in, completing the building and securing the structure. And you see, Jesus is both of those, isn't he? He's both the cornerstone and the capstone, he is the foundation. He is the foundation and the beginning of God's kingdom. He is also the one who completes it. The one who brings everything to fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 118. Jesus is the stone here in Psalm 118 that the builders rejected, whom God has chosen to honor. And the religious leaders here, they're the builders who are rejecting Jesus even even at this time. But God will still choose to honor him. And then Jesus comes right out and says it, verse 43, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Because they have rejected Jesus, God has rejected them. And the kingdom of God will be taken from them and given to others. Remember one of the first things Jesus did? 
after he entered Jerusalem. Remember, he rode in on the donkey, triumphal entry. That's where we started our series. He went in and cleared the temple. We saw that. And then what was the next thing he did is he cursed the fig tree. Remember we talked about that? Do you remember why he cursed the fig tree? Because it had no fruit. Do you see how all of this ties in together now? We said that the fig tree was a symbol of the religious leaders and, and the Jewish nation that was not producing the fruit that God required. And so now, God says, like the tenants who were entrusted with the vineyard, who rejected God's messengers when he sent them, they are about to reject his son. The kingdom will be taken from them and given to others who will produce the kingdom's fruit. We find a similar statement to this in the book of Acts uh, with the apostle Paul, his traveling companion Barnabas. You know, everywhere, when you read the book of Acts, everywhere Paul goes, he had a certain strategy. He would enter a city. First place he would go to share the gospel was the synagogue. He always went to the Jewish people first. And this was simply because they were God's chosen people. They were the original tenants of the kingdom. And so it was only right they should be told first that the Messiah has come. You got to tell the Jewish people first. He's the Jewish Messiah. But then when the Jewish people rejected the gospel, then he would go to the Gentiles. We find this example in Acts 13, 46 in the city of Pisidian Antioch. Uh, Paul and Barnabas told them this, we had to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus was saying. The kingdom of God was being taken away from them and given to others who would produce its fruit. Now, going back to Matthew 21, Jesus has just told the religious leaders about the cornerstone, the capstone, the stone, right? Now he tells them that this stone that they have rejected will become a rock of judgment against them. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. There it looks like the cornerstone. Who falls on the cornerstone will be broken to pieces. But he on whom it falls, oops, now it's the capstone up high, right? And if you're walking through the arch, you don't want that rock to land on your head, right? He on whom it falls will be crushed. And Jesus is quoting from two Old Testament scriptures here. You can look them up later. We're, we're not going to look at them this morning, but Isaiah 8.14, which speaks of a, a rock or a stone of stumbling. And then Daniel chapter 2, where there's this great vision of this huge mountain, this huge a rock like a mountain coming out of the sky and just crushing all of the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus, in quoting these passages, he is applying these Old Testament scriptures to himself. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior to all who will receive him, but he becomes a rock of judgment to those who reject him. The Apostle Peter says the same thing about Jesus. We read in 1 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, and he quotes some of the same verses Jesus did. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is precious to all who believe 
in him. But to those who do not believe, he is a stone that causes them to stumble. He is a rock that makes them fall. Or as Jesus put it here in Matthew 21, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. You know, when Nathan told David the the meaning of the story about the rich man and the lamb, David immediately softened his heart. He repented. He confessed his sin. That's because David was a man after God's own heart. But when Jesus told the religious leaders the meaning behind the parable of the tenants, they only hardened their hearts further. Look at verses 45 and 46 with me now. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so they knew this parable was about them, but they still did not repent. Instead, they kept looking for a way to arrest Jesus, thus fulfilling the very parable Jesus Jesus just spoke against them, right? Jesus just told them what they're going to do, and they said, they're getting ready to do it. And the only reason they don't do it right now is because they're afraid of the people. They're afraid of the crowd. The people view Jesus as a prophet. So this is the meaning of the parable of the tenants. Jesus came as the promised Messiah to his own people, but his own people rejected him. And so God's kingdom was taken away from them and given to the Gentiles. Now, I need to clarify something here. Very important. This does not mean that if you are Jewish, that you are somehow excluded from God's kingdom. Okay, far from it. All of the earliest Christians were Jews. And praise God, there are many Jewish people today who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah and they enter God's kingdom. The church today is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers together. The Bible tells us one day, God, uh, there will be some type of working within the Jewish people's hearts where we'll see many come to faith in Christ. I believe we're already seeing that in the large numbers Uh, that have come to faith in Christ already. But by and large, the Jewish people did not receive Jesus as their Messiah, and so the gospel went to the Gentiles instead. And here's where this whole parable becomes a warning to each one of us today. Remember, God's word is not just written to people back there, back then. God's word is written to us right here, right now. And there's a warning for all of us here in the parable, and that warning is this. God's kingdom is not automatic. You do not enter God's kingdom by either birth or culture. You are not a Christian simply because your parents are Christians or because you go to church or because you were maybe even raised in the church. No, you must personally believe in Jesus yourself. And you either believe in Jesus or you reject Jesus. The Bible says there is no middle ground. Jesus is either God's precious cornerstone to you when you believe in him or he is a rock of judgment for you because you reject him. 
I want to read one more verse out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, where God says this. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Don't let God's kingdom get away from you. Don't be like the religious leaders who only hardened their hearts even further. God sent Jesus to be your Savior. So put your trust in Him. Because the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank You for this parable this morning. Lord, it's easy to beat up on the religious leaders and take pot shots at them and, and, uh, and see how they st- stepped into the trap of your words and committed themselves up front. But Lord, that's not what you want for us today. You want us to take these words and apply them to our own lives. Lord, you've given us the kingdom. It's in Jesus. It's in your Son. All we need to do is believe and receive. And to put our trust in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning we ask that you would touch our hearts. If we've never believed in you, may we put our faith in you today and enter the kingdom. Lord Jesus, if we already believe in you, may we build our life upon you. You are a sure foundation. When we build our life on you, we will not be disappointed. We will never be put to shame. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in your precious name.